Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good to see you. Hello, everybody. Um, by way of what's going on? Uh, by way of prayer requests, um, you can ask ask Andrew all the questions about this. Andrew knows what's going on. All, all I know is uh, I don't know anything about money. Uh, I don't know anything about real estate. Um, all I, all I know is that I'm supposed to pray. But um, we made an an offer on this building next door. So. You know, uh, I, I told the Lord um, after the, the last few letdowns on, on space and, and different opportunities that presented themselves, I, I, I had to reckon with the Lord that whatever happens, happens. You know, I trust Him. And, uh, you know, what is He, I mean, what is a building, right? What is a building? And, uh, but the, you know, we looked, the, the pastors looked at the building space next door and it, and it represents all the, the needs that we have. I mean, it, it would kind of fulfill um, the space issues education-wise that, that we need. And, and uh, so please be praying. Please be praying for that. Uh, it's a big deal. And uh, what it represents for me personally, and I, you know, I don't want to spend much time on this because we've got a lot to cover in Acts chapter 20 today, but what it represents is a, an opportunity to raise up um, a generation of, of people who want to plant churches. And, um, and I, I really do believe that, that um, Kaya has, has only just begun to reach our city. And as we continue to evangelize and disciple and train and teach, that um, the, the people in this room and then people that we've never even met yet um, are going to go and plant churches all over the world. Now, in order for that to be sustainable, I believe that we have to have space to grow. And, um, and so I believe that, 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 that whether it be the building next door or it be somewhere else or it be, you know, under a tent in the parking lot, uh, we need space. And, um, and God has heard our prayers, and he knows. He knows what's up, you know, so I'm cool. I'm trying to be cool. Also, who thinks Havila should write more songs? I think, I think, you know. All right, Acts chapter 20 uh, has been fantastic, hasn't it? I mean, it's been such a wonderful study. I've, I've loved being in it. And uh, so what's happening in Acts chapter 20? Well, Paul is uh, meeting up with the leaders from the church of Ephesus, right? He spent three years investing in, uh, the, in Ephesus, this, this city this, um, with, with lots of people who came to Christ. I mean, it, in fact... Ephesus might be the most fruitful city of Paul's entire work, of all his missionary journeys, uh, the work that happened in Ephesus, the, the number of people that were reached, the number of people that were discipled, uh, the, the tenure that he spent there investing. I mean, this might have been one of the deepest investments that Paul ever made. And uh, at this point in the story, Paul realizes that if he goes to Jerusalem, there's a good chance he's never coming back to Ephesus, that he won't see these mighty people ever again. And, and you know, so there's this heartfelt um, desire to make sure that he gives them one last farewell, one last word, uh, one last provocation. And so he gathers the, the leaders from the church in Ephesus, and they meet in Miletus. And 
Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about all of the different things that he spoke to them about. In our very first sermon in this most recent series, we talked about how Paul said, hey, here's my life. It's wide open. It was a life open to inspection. We talked about living a life that was single-minded and blameless before other people. And that if we're living the true Christian life, that we don't have to live multiple lives. We don't have to live a life for one set of people. And we have to live a certain life for our friends over here. But no matter who we're in front of and whoever we position ourselves in front of, we're living a seamless Christian life. We talked about what that meant. We talked about a life inspected. And then we talked just recently about a life uh, inventoried. Right? Um, where we're looking at our own life and we're inspecting our own life and we're making sure that our life is right before... <clears throat> I've got, see, I've been, I've been coaching soccer. Now, the, the problem with coaching soccer is that I yell a lot. <laughs> a, a lot. An excessive amount of yelling. And so my throat is... Forgive me in advance for the, the amount of water that I'm going to drink in today's sermon. <clears throat> but, uh, but anyway, we talked about taking inventory of your life, inspecting your own life, considering your own ways. Now, today we're going to talk about a life invested, a life invested. And what we mean by that is what does it look like as a leader in, in the church, in ministry, in, in life, a leader, someone who's influential for the Lord? What does it look like for you to actually make an appropriate investment? Okay, and like we said, these are the leaders of the church in Ephesus that he's talking to. Okay, and he's got them all gathered together, and he's, he wants to provoke them to carry the mantle, to carry the torch. They're the ones that are going to be going back to Ephesus. He's going elsewhere, and he needs to know that these people are prepared to lead the church in Ephesus in an appropriate way, and he's asking them to consider what that looks like. And so that's where we're at today. Today we're going to be looking at what it means to have a life invested fully in the work of God. So let's pray and then we'll dig in, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful to just stand before you and worship. Um, we're grateful for the opportunity, the grace that was bestowed upon us that gave us relationship with you, that, that invited us into this friendship uh, that we cherish so much. And uh, Lord, I even recognize right now, I want to I come before you and say, I, I, I would guess that there might be some people in the room today that all of this is fairly new to them. They've been invited here by a friend or, or, um, or maybe they've been visiting for a few weeks and, and all of this is, uh, maybe seems radical uh, and maybe it seems confusing, I don't know. Uh, but Lord, I, I pray that, that you would reveal yourself uh, to these people today. And uh, Lord, that you would make your name known and that you would give every person in this room reason to glorify you. Uh, last week, we had someone come to know you in the, in the middle of a, our worship set. Um, you know, we, we were worshiping and praising you and, and lifting up your name and, and someone had to step out of the room because they were overcome. And for the first time in their whole life, uh, they've been witnessed to many, many times before. But in the first, uh, for the first time in their life, they came to realize who you truly were to them. And so, Lord, in the midst of today's preaching, Lord, I pray that you would convict souls and that you would lead people to belief, to repent and to believe on you. Uh, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. Lord, I pray for every leader in this room. And, and by leader, I mean every person who's counted the cost. Um, Lord, I pray for every leader in this room to recognize what it's going to continue to cost them to make an investment in your people. 
It is, it's not an easy work. What you've called us to is going to require our own personal sacrifice, death to self every day. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us and show us what it means to give of ourselves that you might be glorified. And the thing that you called precious, souls, the thing that you called precious would be um, built up, strengthened. Um, Lord, that the people in this room would grow into to full strength, that they might be uh, impactful for your namesake for years to come. I ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Paul is addressing this group, and he says, And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. So what he's saying is that this is my last farewell. We've talked about this. Like, it's his conviction, it's his belief that he will never return uh, to Ephesus and, and maybe never to, to these, these utter parts of Asia, Asia Minor ever again. Okay, he sees himself going and visiting uh, Jerusalem uh, and perhaps, you know, Rome and, and never leaving, never escaping the grip of the Roman government. And so he does that sacrificially. He believes, we'll talk about this more in the next chapter, but he believes it's what he's supposed to do. And so this is his, his last farewell. And so he says, behold, behold, look, look, consider these things. He's calling them to, to think. He's sobering them up. He's, he's reminding them, look, this is getting serious, and this is the last thing I need to tell you. Look, I'm not going to see you anymore. This is the thing that I need to tell you. Verse 26, wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of of God. So he says to them that he's pure from the blood of all men. What does this mean? It's kind of a, a grandiose statement. It's a little bit poetic, right? He's pure from the blood of all men. So the gravity of this statement, it can't be underestimated. He's essentially saying, as far as the souls in Ephesus are concerned, I am completely guiltless before you. In other words, Paul went to Ephesus and invested in such a way that the gospel had saturated the entire city. The no, the no Ephesian was left behind, right? No Ephesian in, in the entire city had, had not come in contact with the gospel in some way. Uh, maybe, maybe it was an encounter with people that, that Paul had discipled. Uh, maybe they heard the gospel in the, in, you know, in, in the amphitheaters or in the streets. But everyone in Ephesus in some way had heard the name of Jesus Christ. Paul had done his work. And he stood guiltless, blameless before these leaders. He gave them everything that he had. But listen, listen to me. What does that mean, to give everything that you have? Ultimately, for the Christian, to give everything you have means to give them everything that God has. To give them everything that God has. See, Paul knew that God had something for those people. And it wasn't good enough for him to give of himself. He had to give everything he knew that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wanted for those people. He knew that in and of himself, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do the work. He didn't have the power. He didn't have the strength. It required the grace of Jesus Christ. It required the power of his Holy Spirit to get the work done. And he didn't just give everything that he had. He gave them everything that God had too. Everything that God had to. So what does that look like? Listen to what he says in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. This word shun means 
draw back, retreat, or to, to act timid. In other words, he's saying he's not, he's not been timid to share all the counsel of God, to preach and to disciple anyone who was willing to listen. And I think about this, and I think about, so Paul had a clear conscience before these people. What he's saying is that as I walk away and I, and I consider myself, like we said last week, I have no regrets I have no regrets in the way that I ministered to you. I have, I have no regrets in the way that I, I, I spoke to you. I did not draw back. I was not timid. I was bold in every way to speak all of the counsel of God. Everything that God gave me, I spoke it. I declared it. Anything that I could teach, I taught. I did my job, and I did it with diligence. And I think about our ministry and I think about what Paul's saying, and it, and it reminds me of a passage where Paul's talking to Timothy, and he asks him to make full proof of his ministry. You guys familiar with that passage? He asks him to make full proof of his ministry. Now, not foolproof, right? There's an American idiom that, that says that we make foolproof of things, right? And the meaning behind that is that, that something that's foolproof can't go wrong. It's, it's foolproof. Like, even a fool can't mess this up. It's foolproof that no matter what, this thing can't go wrong. But we know better. In ministry, lots of things go wrong. We're not talking about making ministry foolproof. We're making it foolproof. Foolproof, which means that something has been carried out through its completion into maturity, to its full end. In other words, as it concerns Ephesus, Paul saw the work from the very beginning to the very end. He saw it through. So this is what he says. In, in fact, if you, you may or may not know this, but Paul trains Timothy to take his place in Ephesus. So Timothy, his disciple, becomes the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And here's his instruction in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. There's a lot to say there, but we want to focus in on this next thing. Make full proof of thy ministry. So the instruction from Paul to Timothy was this. Man, listen to me. Complete the work. Endure to the end. Finish what you started. Do not give up. It's going to be burdensome. There's going to be affliction. It's going to be difficult. There will be many tears shed. It will not be easy. But listen to me, man. You cannot quit. You've got to see this thing through to the very end to its maturity. Do not quit on God's people. There are going to be moments that you want to turn back. You're going to be tempted to sin and to fall away. You're going to be tempted in moments to say it's too much. And in those moments, press in. Move forward. See the work to its very end. Now, I think about that. Where did these come from? Who is the, who is the angelic being? Lorena. Who was it? Who did this? Oh, thank you so much. I, if I put this in my mouth, though, it'll probably rattle around. So maybe I'll debate whether or not to partake. Thank you so much. Um, you guys love me so much. I love, I love you guys. Um, so, so all of this that's, that's, that Paul's saying, he's, that he's saying to Timothy, that he's saying to these leaders in Ephesus, listen to me, listen to me, this is so crucial. Do not quit. See the work to the end. That's how I performed in ministry, and that's what I'm asking of you. Now listen to me. How rare is that in ministry today? 
How rare is that? We talk about it and we're like, oh yeah, well of course, Paul. But listen to me, as we look at Christians today, whether they be pastors, whether they be missionaries, whether they just be just leaders, just like you in ministry, how rare is it to see someone complete a work in ministry without failure? Maybe it's a failure of character. Maybe they just quit. Maybe they just walk away. Maybe they get a better opportunity. Listen to me, y'all. I'm in, I'm in danger of, of doing a lot of tangents today, so bear with me. But listen to me. What we've created in terms of Christian ministry in America today, in fact, across the world, is that we've created a system and a structure that says that to be a leader in the church requires that you think about it in terms of a business structure. And so you go to seminary, you get your education, you get academic about it. And then you get your first job, and then you slowly work your way up the totem pole of ministry, right? You work your way up the business ladder of ministry. And I've said this a lot recently, but, but as far as Midtown is concerned, and the way that we see discipleship, listen to me. Our development, our, our growth, has nothing to do with the ladder of success. It has everything to do with a path. It is a path. It is not a ladder. And so when we start thinking about things in terms of, well, well, how we should do ministry and what we should do, it's only natural that a leader, a pastor, a missionary, the first chance they see to, to go to greener pastures, they're out. It's so, it's so common for pastors to get other better job opportunities. You know, someone calls them up and you're like, hey, now that you've written that book and that you led that megachurch for a few years... Why don't you move down to, to, you know, Sunnydale, Florida? We've got a megachurch waiting for you, right? And a guy packs his bags and he takes his family to those greener pastures. And it's not about the people and it's not about the calling. To so many believers, so many leaders, it's about working their way up the ladder. And I want to tell you right now, God forbid that we ever, ever think that way. It's a dangerous way of thinking. How many pastors and ministers... And Christians can honestly make the claims that Paul's making here. How many of us, when we reflect on our lives in ministry, discover that, that, that we've left things undone? Whether it be a relationship with the person that we were supposed to share the gospel with and we never did, we never took the opportunity, so we look back on that with regret. Or maybe it's some sort of ministry thing or some sort of investment. Maybe we were in a discipleship relationship and we didn't pursue the way that we should. That We didn't see that thing to the end. We didn't do, we didn't do honor by the Lord. And, and I, would, I would wager that every day that we come into to micro, you know, micro moments, environments, experiences, where we fail to see things to the very end. We live in a world where things are so casual, so... So we get everything we want our way. And so when we look at ministry, there's so many of us that that have made a habit of complaining about ministry when it gets difficult. I hear it all the time. Because the way that we're wired, the way that we think, the way that our culture has taught us is that if it's not happening our way, that it's optional, that we can opt out. That there's got to be a way of escape here because this is just not going the way that I thought it would. And because of that, so many Christians today do not see the work to the very end. 
And so many of us, we won't even know it until we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we recognize that, he, that there, is, there is no well done in his mouth. No, well done, well done is for the people who've chosen to see the work to the end. So that was my tangent. So what we are about to observe as Paul speaks to this group of leaders in Ephesus is a presentation on how to have a ministry that's fully proven. Ultimately, what it means is he's going to teach them how to be a shepherd. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to emphasize today. The future of the work was in their hands. Paul wanted to ensure that they had taken the, that, that, that they had taken the ministry every bit as serious as he did, and even more so. When I, when I studied this, I couldn't help but think about my relationship with Jeff Grasher. And if, in fact, I invested in him for about three years before I handed off the student ministry to him. And I, and I can honestly say, I'm, I mean, I'm, not, I'm no Paul, but I can say that I gave my life to the student ministry. And when I handed over the student ministry to Jeff, I knew that he was going to take that work just as serious as I ever did, and more so. And that's what I see. I mean, I don't know if you guys can tell, but when you look at the student ministry, you can see his love, his care, and that he's giving his life for those young people. I couldn't ask for anything more in terms of a disciple. I couldn't ask for anything more. And and as I studied this, I thought a lot about him. See, Paul doesn't want these men to regret or be disappointed in their service to the Lord or to these good people in Ephesus. He wants them to carry the mantle in his stead. And so he presents to to them a list of things that they're going to be called to do and to be. And the very first thing that he asked them to do is oversee the work. Oversee the work. Verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So he says this word, take heed, which means to be observant or aware. So the very first thing that he calls them to is alertness, to be aware, to have a critical eye to be willing to investigate and to ask hard questions. God made you an overseer, and an overseer, it requires two things to be an overseer. Okay, so, so again, I want to I back up and I want to say this again. There's people that are new to the ministry. There are people that are getting discipled right now, and you don't see yourself as a leader. And so whenever I use the word leader, you're going you're gonna to be prone to think that that's other people. Oh, when you say leader, you mean the Bible study leaders or my discipler. No, I'm talking to anybody who's counted the cost to follow Jesus Christ. You are a leader. You are leading someone. You are leading people. You are a person of influence for the gospel. You have opportunities. You are a leader. And so you need to listen. When I I talk about these things, these apply to you every bit as much as they do to me or any other leader in this ministry. So pay very close attention. The Lord has asked you to oversee. And he's asked you to oversee in two different ways. The very first thing is you need to take heed unto yourselves, unto yourselves. God has given you the responsibility of having oversight of yourself. Well, that seems real easy, doesn't it? I mean, I wake up every morning. I brush my teeth. Some of you don't. Just saying. Some of you you don't, and I'm going to leave these right here for you before the meet and greet at the end. Um... No, I mean, you think, you think that you have control of your life, right? Everyone thinks that they're under control, right? Uh, they think that they've got it figured out. You know, you wake up, 
you know, you, dis- you make decisions about yourself, about your life, you dress yourself, you worry about your hygiene, you think about your clothing, you do your hair, and you do all these things, you feed yourself, you exercise, hopefully. But listen to me, what he's saying when he says, take heed unto yourselves, it's not just about surviving. What he's talking about is not just the physical necessities of day-to-day life. When he says, take heed unto yourselves, he's talking about spiritual necessities, Spiritual necessities. So when Paul says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, he's saying, inspect yourself. Consider your ways. Watch your tongue. Mortify your deeds. Flee from lust. Take oversight of your body, over your mind, over your mouth, the things that you take in, the things that you put out. Take control. Take heed to yourself. It's so funny to me. It's so interesting. This is so true. This is true for every Christian, not just for young people. There are so many busybodies in this world that are so concerned about other people who have, who have a completely a, a blind eye as it concerns their own lives. Jesus talks about this, right? He talks about this in terms of, of, of before you want to, to, to talk about other people, why don't you consider the moat in your eye, right? Before you want to look at and, and, and help other people, and you think that you can give something to other people, you think that you can serve other people, and you want to judge other people, and you want to, you want to take account for other people's lives, and you want to look at them and say, oh, well, so-and-so's got these problems, and so-and-so's got those problems. Before you can do that, maybe, just maybe, you should think about your own self and your own life and ask yourself, who am I as it concerns the Lord? What kind of sins am I holding on to? In what ways have I offended a holy and righteous God? So be critical as it concerns you. When things don't feel right in your life, is there a reason for that? I mean, as much as it's so funny, as much as we think that we have control of our lives, so many of us are depressed. But then we just keep doing the things that we do because that's the, those are the things that we do, right? We just keep, we keep going the way that we know to go. And we ask ourselves, well, why do I feel the way I feel? Well, maybe for a second you should just think critically about the way that you live, about the way that you act. Are you doing things that ensure that you're close to the Lord? I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about. Is if we're talking about you and your life and learning to assess your life and be critical about your life, are you doing the things that are necessary for ensuring that your walk with the Lord is right? Take heed. And this is the way we take heed. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Our own personal holiness, listen to me, our own personal holiness sits at the center of our usefulness for the Lord. And so before you can ever take heed for others or for the flock, or before you can ever lead anyone else, You need to first inspect your life, take heed, and consider whether or not you're fit for that work. See, what qualifies you for a a leader is that you're a person who takes heed for yourself. 
that you desire to be right before the, before the Lord, you are a person that as a habit, as a lifestyle, you draw nigh to Christ. So the thing about, you know, the thing about our conversation today is, 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 is that before we can really move forward, for a lot of you, you need to consider if there are things that you need to repent of. Things that you need to get right. Ways in which you need to pur- purify yourself before the Lord. Sin that you're holding on to. You need to do the work of inspection because before you can inspect other people, before you can lead or take heed to the flock, man, you better make sure that you're right. So as we move on, we're also supposed to take heed for the flock. So once we've taken heed for ourselves, once we've made our, made our sanctifica- sanctification, our own sanctification, a, pu- a priority, once we've done that, then we're prepared to function as overseers of others, and we're called to be shepherds. So take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and, all, and, all the, uh, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To oversee the flock is to be a shepherd. It's to be a shepherd. So when, when the instant we hear that word flock, we know that Paul's invoking this idea of a shepherd. Now, I want to say that in Scripture, to be a shepherd is no light thing. That's no light matter. That's a serious thing. In many ways, this this conversation, it had to be just to the leaders, right? It 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 was appropriate for Paul to be talking to the leaders of Ephesus and really not to the rest of the church in, in, in many regards. He's telling the leaders, look, you need to be shepherds over the flock. And what we're going to discover moving forward in our passage is that the oversight of the flock was a very serious matter. Christ talks about being the good shepherd. Christ is our paramount shepherd. And so in the scriptures, we hear Christ talk about being a shepherd quite often. If we turn to John chapter 10, verse 11, we find Jesus speaking with a mixed audience of of religious people. Some were true disciples and and others were just admirers and and still some were detractors. There were religious individuals there that, that shunned and hated Jesus Christ. But listen to how he talks about the responsibility of being a shepherd versus the responsibility of being a hireling. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Then he says, but he that is a hireling. Now let's stop there for just a second. What is a hireling? A hireling is a person that that is hired in to be a shepherd for seasonal work. For seasonal work. In other words, they have no reason to have long-term investment in the flock. They're there to collect a wage for a short period of time, and then they might be hired out to, to watch another flock or to go tend some field. This was a hired laborer who was brought in for a short period of time who had no stock in the investment. Their lives weren't given to the work. They didn't have ownership in the long-term success of the sheep. So it says, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. In other words, in Christianity today, 
So often what we see is that the investment that we make in one another, is, it's transactionary. In other words, we make investments in other people because we think that somehow it's going to benefit us. And so our relationships with other people tend towards the superficial because we say to ourselves, well, if I make this investment, it's going to look good for me. Or this is fun, or it makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel hopeful because I've made this investment. It feels religious. It feels spiritual. It makes me feel spiritually healthy in some way. And so there's lots of people that are willing to make short-term, superficial investments in other people. There's lots of people that are willing to do that. Churches are full of those types of people. You know, I think I'm going to join the hospitality team because I think, you know, that would be kind of fun. And I'm going to hold the door and I'm going to greet people and and people will see me and I'll see them and that'll be so much fun. Or I'm going to do this in ministry. I'm going to do that in ministry. And all of it is just these like vain ambitions because they're not doing it with the purpose of making a long-term investment in the body of Christ. See, it's not sacrificial. It's not sacrificial. What Jesus says is that a shepherd is willing to give their lives for the sheep. In other words, when the wolf shows up, the shepherd is willing to place their body between the wolf and the sheep. They're willing to die for the innocent. Now, I want to ask you for just a second, how many of you, when you think about your investment in this church and in this ministry, in terms of evangelism, discipleship, uh, training, teaching, loving, caring, you, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would give your life for the people that you know. That you would give your life, you're so vested, you've counted the cost to the point that this ministry is your life. That's a big deal. And so many of us, we, we use high and lofty words. We, we speak these altruistic things. And we say all of these things about the ministry. But then day to day, when it comes down to it, are you actually willing to put your body between the wolf and the flock? It's a serious question. See, a real shepherd, a good shepherd, is someone who no longer sees themselves at the center of life and ministry. They see others at the center of life and ministry. So key point number one, a true shepherd understands ministry in terms of giving, not getting. You've you've gone beyond getting. And now life, you're giving me a look. Where's key point number one? Where'd it go? You deleted it. I always know when something's wrong with the PowerPoint because someone looks at me like. I'm going to say it again. Okay. Key point number one is a true shepherd understands ministry in terms of giving. Giving, not getting. Not getting. So many of us think about church in terms of what we're going to get. This is, you know, you can see this uh, typified in people who ch- church hop. We see, we see people come in all the time, and then what they do is, the first thing they do is they assess whether or not this is a good environment for them. 
And so they, they listen to the worship and they consider the craft of the musicians. And this is, hey, this is or isn't the type of worship that I like. Okay? They look around and they look at the people and they consider the culture. Oh, oh this is a room full of hip individuals. I think, I think I fit in here. I, I could see myself as a member. And we, we have this consumerist mentality. And we go, so many of us get in our car and we drive to church thinking about whether or not we're going to get what we want today. We don't even know we're doing it. You want to know whether or not your heart is right before you come to church? Are you thinking in your mind, I wonder who I'm going to serve today? If that's what you're rehearsing in the car on the way here, you know you're ready for church. Because a good shepherd, a mature believer, a mission-minded person, thinks in terms of giving, not getting. You've moved, you've moved from a place of childhood and into a place of adulthood. It's a big deal. What Paul is asking of these men is a big deal. It's serious. A shepherd is someone who understands the gravity of what's being entrusted with the Lord's heritage. As you understand the severity of the responsibility, you're going to very naturally become a good shepherd. It makes me think about motherhood. You know, um, we've had several people have babies recently, right? Um, the O'Hora's had a baby. The Stewarts over at Living Faithly Summit had a baby. And we got a lot of young mothers. You know, the thing about carrying a baby around, and I watch this in my wife, is that especially with our first, with Shepherd. you know, you can read every book, and you, have, you really only have kind of a general idea of what it means to be a mother, right? You, you can look at, look at it in terms of, like, all of this information, but until the baby is in your arms, do you realize that you are actually made for that? You were made to do it, and very naturally, you care for that child. Something changes in the way that you think. You want to feed that child. You want to nourish that child. Your body is, like, crying out to do that. It's like G Gabrielle's in that stage right now where she, like, she loves the baby, but the instant that baby is in her arms, it's like you, the fullness of motherhood is upon her. And all of the labor and all of the striving and all the difficulty, it's been made worth it in an instant. And she knows very naturally what to do. And so I think about it in terms of what Paul's doing here, too, with these leaders. He's invested in them. He's shown them. But it's only been kind of conceptual for them. They don't know until the mantle has been passed that they're actually built for the work of shepherding. They're made for it. And I want to say the same thing to you. You're made for the work of shepherding. You're made for the work of giving. You're made for the work of selflessness. You're made to be a protector. You're made to feed the sheep. You're made to do it. You're built to do it. But then as you go along, it's always helpful for every mother to get advice. Right? And the mothers in this room, they've shared advice. You know, you know Eva, has had, we've had three kids now, and Brianna has several children. There's several of us have kids. We could give advice to the new mothers. So even though some of it is very natural, advice is good. And in the advice that Paul is about to give to them is going to be crucial to whether or not they move forward as shepherds. 
So Paul's saying to these men, now that you understand your responsibility, now that your heart is bent towards overseeing the flock, let me share a few more things about how to do that with excellence. And so in verse 28, it goes on to say, the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his blood. What does it mean to feed the sheep? What does that mean? So Paul's saying it's their responsibility. It's the responsibility of any good shepherd to lead the flock to a green pasture and to to lead the flock by still waters. The sustenance of the flock is of the utmost importance. In fact, it's the primary responsibility of the shepherd from day to day. In other words, 95% of the time, the shepherd's responsibility is about feeding the sheep. The same thing is true with motherhood, isn't it? I mean, almost the, the majority of the day with any infant is about figuring out how to feed them. Right? Feeding is crucial. The sustenance of the flock is of the utmost importance. Jeremiah 3.14 says, Turn, O black backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So he's talking about, so you guys know that the word pastor means shepherd, right? In fact, we think about the word pastor and it reminds us of the word pasture. So the responsibility of the shepherd is to bring the flock into green pastures to feed them. And he does that by giving them knowledge and understanding. So Paul explains this concept a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you, uh, unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Listen, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And so what he's saying to you is that there's this spiritual development. There's this process of spiritual development. And I know as your father, as your shepherd, even what it is that you need to eat. When you were a child, you you had milk. You ate milk. And as you grew, you grew into more substantive, yeah, there we go, food. And it it was solids. It was Cheerios, right? It It was, what is it, you know, baby food. Okay, and then it was like, you know, can they handle pizza? Yeah, let's give them some pizza. Oh, wait, they can't do the pepperonis. They're too spicy. And like, this is how it is in in parenting and and, and, and in pastoring as well and in shepherding people. You give them what they need. You meet them where they're at. And as you invest in them, you slowly lead them along the way and they grow teeth and and eventually they're eating steak. And you're grilling steaks in the backyard and your son of nine years old is like, Dad, I don't want... I don't want a cheeseburger. I don't want a hot dog. I want a steak. And so you grill him his own steak, right? Because he's, he's becoming a man, right? And then when you hear him at 3 in the morning, you realize his digestive tract hasn't quite <laughs> caught up to his teeth. But in other words, Paul knew that his responsibility was to feed the congregation of believers in Corinth. That's what he was saying to them there. And that as they mature, he knew what to feed them at any given time. That's how well he knew his flock. But what does it mean to feed the flock of God? They don't need green pastures, do you? I mean, I don't, I don't, we're not going to get up right now and go out into the, you know, find some greenery outside and you guys are going to start like cows, like milling. Or, like that's not what I'm actually doing. I'm feeding you, but what is it that I feed you? What is it that our disciples feed the people that they're discipling? What are they feeding one another? 
What you choose to feed those that have been entrusted to you is very important because there is a wrong way to feed the flock. 1 Peter 5.2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In other words, what Peter's saying is that there's a right way to, to feed and there's a wrong way to feed. See, the flock of God has been led to feed in barren fields. The, the church of Jesus Christ, the flock, the church, in many ways has been led to feed in a barren place. See, there's lots of shepherds who are feeding God's people on opinions and personal experience. So you, you show up at church, and, and there's a lot of people espousing their own opinions, their own thoughts, and they're like, let me, let me tell you what I think. There's lots of that going on. There are lots of shepherds who are feeding God's people with pop psychology. Man, it's everywhere, isn't it? Gosh, you look at like a church's Instagram feed, and it's not scripture, right? It's like all of these like, it's like you read, you read these shepherds, they read some sort of book about, you know, Every book that pastors are writing right now are empty, integrative, put the Bible aside, self-help books. That's what, that's what pastors are writing now. It's ridiculous. It's barren. There's lots of shepherds feeding the flock of, of, of God on politics and empty social platforms. And there's lots of shepherds selling the gospel of wealth and prosperity. There's plenty of shepherds doing that. But listen to me. The flock of God is anemic. It's malnutritioned. It's starving to death. It's hurting. And unless those who have oversight determine that they're going to disciple people with the word of God, Christians, even in this ministry, are going to starve to death. Check out this quote from, uh, from Charles Spurgeon. A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. He wrote that 150 years ago. This is our reality. Isn't it? This is our reality. That the people that are supposed to be shepherding the flock of God, us, have chosen to instead entertain their congregants, entertain their disciples, speak a word of pop psychology, give them their opinions and experiences, feed them vain things and their malnutrition and they're dying. And we cannot be guilty of this. So here's the question for you. Are you passionate about feeding the flock? If so, here's the hard question. Who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? Now, I'm not saying that broadly. I'm asking, who are you investing in so that you in your mind can start generating a list of names right now? Who are you as a Christian investing in? At whatever stage of growth that you're in, who are you investing in? 
And what are you feeding them? Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did, I did eat them. And thy words, or thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by the name, O Lord God of hosts. Job 23, 12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What are you feeding the flock? What are you giving to other people? If it's not the word of God, it's empty and vain. No one, no one can live on Takis and Cheetos. You can't live. It'll destroy you from the inside out. It'll, you'll, your gut will first rot. And then eventually you will just die. We had a, you know, we order uh, uh, chips and things for, um, for services. Like we have grill out night. People like to eat some Lay's potato chips. So we get these boxes. We'll order boxes of chips. And someone left a, like a stack of these boxes on the stove one day in this, uh, down in the cafe. And the stove was actually on and it caught the, the box of, of Lay's potato chips on fire. So someone, before they caught flame, took them outside and got them outside and um, over a matter of a few minutes, the, the, boxes, the boxes caught fire and all of the chips melted. Except the Cheetos sur- survived the flames. <laughs> the only, listen, the only thing left, the only thing that survived, everything melted. The cardboard, it caught fire, it burns up, it was crisp, chaff in the wind. Except for a massive pile of orange, what, sh- what shape is a Cheeto? Don't even tell me. We know what Cheetos are shaped like. They're shaped like turds. It's the only, it's the only chip, it's the only consumable. The orange isn't hiding everyth- anything, right? We know that they're shaped like a dog turd. But so the, these types of things, you consume these types of things, you have that kind of diet, there's no way you're going to survive on that. You will be malnutrition, and so many Christians are feeding the flock of God on things that are unhealthy and will kill them. How, we, we're, are we really surprised that Christians, that young people, are walking away from the faith in droves at churches everywhere? Do we look at other churches and we think about what COVID did, that there's still young people just like you cowering in their houses because they've never been discipled, that are dying on the vine? Are we really surprised by that? The shepherds have failed to do the work? We have a responsibility. Key point number two, a true shepherd understands their primary ministry responsibility is discipleship. It is discipleship. That's the main thing you do. That's the main thing I do. That's the main thing that we do. Everything that we talk about, everything from a, uh, you know, a kickball tournament in the park, okay, as, as fun and as silly as that seems, in terms of, a, of our evangelism ministry, all the way through to graduating LFBI and church planting. All of, it, all of it is. Bible studies, everything that we do, all of it has ever been just discipleship. It's taking the word of God and feeding the flock and feeding the flock until they grow, until they're mature, until they're strengthened. That's what it's been. 
And don't listen. Look, Paul says this thing. He says, don't forget the gravity of this work. I don't want you to forget how important feeding the flock is. He says this, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Christ gave everything. He gave everything that he had. He gave to this work that you and I might take responsibility for God's people and feed them. Let's not fail. Let's not fail to be fed, flock. Let's not fail to be fed, and let's not fail to feed others. Next, verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And so we've talked about oversight, that a shepherd has oversight. We've talked about the fact that a shepherd provides, it provides sustenance, provides food, provides God's word to those that are growing. And then lastly, they have the responsibility to watch and to warn God's people. Do not be negligent in this area. Paul knew that once he left the ministry, as as soon as he walked away from Ephesus, he knew that there would be a void in the ministry. And when there is a void... Someone's going to fill it. There there are all types of ambitious people. There are all types of individuals who want power, who want want the responsibility. They want to be seen. They want to be known. He knew that people that had no care for God's people would come looking to exploit the work, looking for power, looking for acknowledgement, looking for money even. And Paul understood that wicked men are prone to consume the flock upon their own lusts. Now, I want to I say this. I want to say it as gently as I can, but also as firmly as I can. There are people in this room that have given their lives for the flock. Now, as we do the work of ministry, there are going to be people that, that, that join us in ministry. People that are church hopping, people that are, that are, they've got all kinds of different motives. They're looking for a wife, they're looking for a husband. And they're going to come into the ministry and they're going to say, okay, I can, I can be around here, this is cool. But they're going to look at this ministry and they're going to see it in terms of prey. I mean, definitely not every person, but, but on the rare occasion, there will be people who show up whose motives are wrong. And sometimes they're going to arise up right in our midst. Now, the the question is, are you going to be able to spot them, and what are you going to do about it? Okay, because you can't just be like, on a Sunday, someone stands up, and they're like, wolf, like, can you imagine right now? (laughs) Like, if Havala just stood up and started pointing at someone and said, wolf, right? No, 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 because sometimes wolf do become sheep. So we can't do that. Like, we've got to be patient with people, and we've got to let things prove themselves out. It's, it's really interesting to me here that, that Paul advocates for protecting the flock, but he doesn't ever say call out people and drag them out into the street, right? He's not saying, you know, flog people, you know, that, that are, you know, beat down the wolves. No, he's talking about protecting the sheep. And so in other words, people are going to show up with wrong motives. There's going to be dudes that come in here looking to find a girl, to looking to find a wife. And listen, here's the way that we can tell. is they hang around for a really long time, and they never get discipled. That's how we know. 
I mean, I, I really love our church, and I love that there are the, the, the way that we grow, that things prove themselves out, that people can't really hide out here for very long without someone saying, have you considered a Bible study? <laughs> we meet on Monday nights at 7 o'clock. I'll see you there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, sometimes I tell this story. You know, I was, at, I was in uh, Checkpoint, the college and young adult ministry that Sam Miles was the pastor of a long time ago. I'd been there a month when Dan came up to me and said, hey, look, man, have you thought about getting disciples? Because, because the thing is that we're constantly calling for the flock to feed. And we know, we know who's a wolf and who's a sheep by whether or not, because here's the deal, sheep feed on grass. Sheep feed on water. We know a wolf based on what they want to eat. And so if a person's hanging around and we're feeding and they don't want what we're feeding them, it's probably because they're looking for something else. They're looking for a tastier meal. And they might not even realize it. So we know, uh, we know a wolf based on what they want to eat. Right? And so if people don't want to get discipled, they don't want to grow. They're looking just to hang out. Man, that's, that's the first sign that the maybe, maybe this person doesn't have the right motives. And we've got to do two things. We've got to be prayerful. We've got to call them to be sheep. We've got to do our due diligence. And these people usually eventually weed themselves out when they realize that there's no, that I'm stand, I am as a shepherd and you as shepherds are standing between them and the flock. They usually back down. You know, wolves are actually scared of shepherds. They are. Especially a single wolf is never going to approach a man with a staff. He's not going to do it. A gang of wolves might. But even then, shepherds are about it, y'all. They don't play. Do you know that term, about it? That's old. That dated me, didn't it? (laughs) They don't play. Shepherds don't play. And a wolf will usually back down. And you know what? The way we've set up, if we've got enough shepherds in this ministry, it'll weed out people who have the wrong motives. And the people that have the right motives, they'll join us in the flock. And we've got to trust that work to the Lord. Okay? You don't need to be a freak about it. Okay? Trust it to the Lord. Be a shepherd. So Ezekiel 34, 5 says, And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search, uh, search or seek after them. And warnings like this can be found all throughout Scripture, by the way. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. John 10.13 says, The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. We read that earlier. Isaiah 40.11 says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are, are with young. I love that imagery. I mean, we could spend all day camped out there, but we've got we to gotta close up here. See, it's, it isn't a matter of if wolves will show up. It's a matter of when. And, and again, they're going to come in with all types of motives, and it's not even really our place to judge their motives. It's just, a, it's just our, our, our job to watch. And not just watch, but also warn. We're to watch and we're to warn. It says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I mean, it was so serious that Paul was crying, that he was weeping on their behalf. 
that he was, he, was, he was so devoted emotionally to the well-being of the flock that he was shedding tears. He was watching, and we talked about how to watch, and he was warning. Now, warning means to prepare people for imminent danger. That's what warning means, is preparing people for imminent danger. The flock of God is always at danger, particularly when it's growing. The more sheep there are, the more likely there are that there are weaker sheep on the fray that are more easily picked off. So the more sheep you have, the more shepherds you have to have. If for a moment you think that I'm I'm capable of of pastoring this, look, y'all, I'm not. We have 31 Bible studies to prove the fact that I am not capable of shepherding this flock alone. I need shepherds. We need shepherds to protect the flock and to warn them of imminent danger. And when you warn the flock of imminent danger, over time, they learn to recognize what's evil and wicked. If you teach the flock, then they know when a wolf shows up, they know it. I mean, we've all seen these like National Geographic videos. I follow this account called Nature, uh, Nature is Gnarly on Instagram. And it is, Nature is Gnarly. That's what I've discovered from following this account. It is actually very gnarly. And, and, and what, what these videos are full of, right, what these documentaries are full of is like the weaker, the weaker animals in the pack are always the least aware of what's going on, right? They like have no idea. They're so stupid. Now, I, I watched recently as a group of buffalo. This was so cool. There was, there was a bunch of uh, uh, wolves coming after this one baby bison. I don't know. I don't know the difference between a bison and a buffalo. I'm sure one of you nerds does. I don't, but it was a bison, I guess. I don't know. So this baby was, was, um, was being chased by these wolves. And what happened was the bigger bison gathered around it like this in a circle. And guess what? The wolves backed down and left. And see, here's the thing is that we need to learn to teach the brethren how to spot a wolf so they can be protected, even if it means just coming and huddling themselves among the shepherds. Even if it just means retreating to a shepherd and being with them in the seasons of temptation and difficulty or if, or if someone is trying to sift them. We've got to warn them. We've got to teach them how to spot wolves. That's our responsibility. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's Jesus talking. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep amidst wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. See, our responsibility as shepherds is to watch over them, but also warn them. This is what danger looks like. It looks like bad doctrine. It looks like someone espousing their opinions. It looks like someone claiming to be your shepherd, but all they're doing is feeding you pop psychology. It looks like someone in the ministry trying to date you, but they won't get discipled. Like, I want to create some sort of graphic image, maybe on a t-shirt, that's like, like some, like, if you want to date, you better get discipled. Some sort of like, this before this, someone needs to work on that graphic image, okay? Like, something like, you want to put a ring on it, you better be on, be an LFBI. I don't know, something like that. So, you guys work on that. But listen to me. We need to be protecting the weaker brothers and sisters in our ministry. We need to be looking out. We need to be showing them what to watch for because there's wolves all around us. Key point number three, a true shepherd protects the flock and teaches them to spot danger. That's what they do. And that's what we ought to do.
Man, Paul was, a, Paul was serious, wasn't he? Paul was an open book. He was open for inspection. Paul did the critical work of taking inventory of his own life. But Paul also prepared other people to be the, every bit the shepherd that he was and more. Man, what did Timothy do in Ephesus? It was amazing, right? God, God in, has entrusted us with the work of investing in people. And I want to call you guys to do that work today. I want to call you to the work of shepherding others. And I'm calling you to do it the right way. Feed them the right food. Don't feed them your political opinions. No one gives a crap. Politics aren't saving anybody's soul. No, no one ought to care. In light of the gospel, no one ought to care. What are you feeding people? Feed, don't feed them your opinions. Feed them God's word. Look out for them. Protect them. Warn them. Invest in them. This is our work. This is what we do. Verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. As we close, we want to invite the worship team to come up. As we close, I want to ask you guys, if there's anything that God's working on your heart about, you know, um, I want to call you to come get counsel. There's going to be leaders up here during our worship set. If God's, if God's pricking your heart and you feel provoked in any way, I want to invite you to come forward. But specifically, I want to ask those of you who recognize that you're a sheep in this flock. And you know it's your responsibility to be fed, but you haven't positioned yourself in a way to be invested in. Come forward and find the ways to get fed. Come find a way to get knit to this body. Come find a way to, to, to align yourself alongside a shepherd and be led and, and, and be taught and be built up and, and, and be provided for in a way that's going to grow you into a responsible shepherd. If you know that's you, if you know that you need to sign up for discipleship or you know that you need to sign up for LFBI or you need to move forward in faith, come forward and, and work through that. But listen to me, the, the, the message really was about anybody who recognizes that they're being called to lead. You know that there's something more for you in this work. And, and maybe you're in discipleship or, or you've been discipled, but you recognize right now in your heart that God is calling you to lead. Listen to me. When I was 16 years old, I went to this youth camp with a church. And I don't remember anything about it. But there was a moment in one of the sermons, and I'll never forget it. I don't even know who this cat was. He's some old guy. There was a moment in the message where I felt the Lord was calling me to be a leader, and I had no idea what that meant. Like, I thought that just meant, like, attending church more often. There was a moment in my life where God said, you're supposed to be a leader. And I want to say this to you, that everyone, I was just 16. I was stupid. I didn't know what discipleship was. I didn't know what following the Lord meant. I was an idiot. You guys are way beyond where I was at, even just after this message. I had no idea what it meant. But listen to me. If you recognize today that the Lord is calling you to be a leader, and you don't even have to know what that means yet, come forward and talk with someone and pray about that and set Set a monument down right now so you can say to yourself, I know that God wants me to shepherd his people. He wants me to make an investment. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm committing to do it. Do that today. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for how clear you are in your word. We thank you for giving us purpose and ministry. It's so easy to be a, a Christian who just assumes that they're, they're supposed to, 
they're supposed to always be consuming, that they're a consumer, and that they show up and they're supposed to get a, a warm, fuzzy feeling from the preaching and from the worship, and, and that they're supposed to be elated and, and excited and then leave and like just go live the life that they want. Then they do that. They recycle that over and over again. And being a Christian is nothing more than just getting a, an experience or like a fun and exciting feeling, and they never go deeper. It's so easy to live that way in this world. But God, I know that you're calling us to more than that. And so as you do, Lord, I pray that people would count the cost of the ministry, that they would recognize that they are called to give their lives for this work. It's not my responsibility as the pastor. It's their responsibility as the people of God to give their lives to the work of protecting and feeding and loving your flock and to provoke people to to discipleship and to, to growth and to church planting and to spread your gospel throughout the whole world. Everyone has a place in that work. And so, God, call us into that now. Call us into that right now as we worship. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.